Built Not Born, episode 13. I'm Joe Chicarone. Thank you for joining us. Built Not Born is the podcast where each episode we interview everyday people living remarkable lives. Our guests have made their impact from the boardroom to the battlefield, from the jujitsu mat to the field of medicine. Today's guest is Coach Mike Collins. Mike Collins is the head baseball coach at Bloomsburg University. Coach Collins is the all-time winningest coach in program history. He is a three-time winner of the Pennsylvania State Athletic Conference Coach of the Year and in the spring of 2021, led the Huskies to their first ever back-to-back Pennsylvania State Athletic Conference Championship when they knocked off Seton Hill, which was number six in the nation, on their home turf. Mike, native of Scranton, Pennsylvania, graduated from St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia with a Bachelor of Arts in Politics. At St. Joe's, Mike played Division I baseball, where he was a two-time team captain and a four-year letter winner. After suffering a season-ending knee injury during his junior year, Mike spent a lot of time during his rehab just sitting in the dugout and observing and learning the game from a different perspective. He then got the idea that he wanted to become a college coach after his playing career was over. After graduating St. Joe's, Mike Collins had to put in long hours and even longer cross-country drives to make his dream of being a head coach a reality. Mike's first coaching job was at Keystone Junior College, where he not only had to build a program, but he had to work blue-collar jobs when not on the field to help pay the bills. Then Mike moved on to Binghamton University, where he served as assistant coach and head of recruiting. His recruiting duties at Binghamton found him living out of his car and driving across country scouting prospects from Pennsylvania to California. It was not unusual for Mike to leave the field after a game, jump into his car, and drive across the country to go recruit. In 2005, Mike was offered the head coaching job at Bloomsburg University and a program that at the time was in need of a rebuild. Mike and I discuss what he looks for in the student athletes he recruits to Bloomsburg and how his program at Bloomsburg has evolved into a Division II powerhouse in the highly competitive Pennsylvania State Athletic Conference. Coach Collins also tells us why he believes a successful college program is not defined by wins and losses only. We discuss his 40-year plan that focuses on helping his players develop into future leaders that will play a positive role in their local communities and help them succeed in life long after their playing days are over. Coach Collins and I also discuss how the program engages their alumni to help work with their current players as they get ready to enter the workforce. We also get into his leadership style and why positivity plays such an important role, what book has most influenced him, and the intangibles that he thinks make a great collegiate baseball player. So, thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button. We have a bunch of cool interviews like this one to come. Enjoy my conversation with head coach Mike Collins, three-time Pennsylvania State Athletic Conference Coach of the Year and all-time winningest coach in program history. And remember, life is built, not born. Coach Mike Collins, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to this. Coach, for the listeners who may not be familiar with you and your work, who are you and what do you do? I'm the head baseball coach at Bloomsburg University of Pennsylvania in the Pennsylvania State Athletic Conference. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Scranton, Pennsylvania, the Green Ridge section of Scranton, a little neighborhood. I, I lived there my whole life until I went to college, and it was a beautiful place to live. It's 10 years old. What was it like around the dinner table growing up? Who was there? What was going on? I grew up with my brother, Matt, who's uh, one year older than me. We shared a lot in common. Matt was really into sports, as was I was blessed to have terrific parents. Nothing to complain about in terms of my upbringing or the environment in my home or in my neighborhood. I was definitely spoiled. My, my mom and dad, Bill and Diane Collins, they, they pressed all the right buttons. So we were busy because we, I grew up from the time I was little, we were always engaged in activities, especially 
athletics. My dad was really into it and he brainwashed us. He was always incredibly supportive and he made it extremely fun. He saw the value in, in getting us out there, the value of athletics and getting us engaged. So we played everything. So as far as the dinner table, yeah, we had meals together, but it was definitely a family where we were running off to practice all the time, whether it be, you know, baseball, football, basketball, we even played a little bit of soccer. We did a little bit of everything. It was a very happy, loving, nurturing childhood for me there in Scranton, PA. What is the most vivid memory of your childhood? Wow. Most vivid memories for me would involve probably baseball and doing things with my dad, practicing baseball, playing with my brother and, and our friends. I grew up at a time when kids played a lot of baseball or baseball type games on their own. You didn't just play when you were wearing a uniform. There's no travel sports or anything like that. You played Little League Baseball. You played like and community, you know, based local organizations, but spending time at the schoolyard, just playing baseball with my friends and my brother. And I just felt like we spent a great deal of time doing that. And that's when I had my most fun. What position? I played the infield, I pitched and I caught. When did you start feeling, wow, I might do this in college. I might play some baseball. I knew I was pretty focused because I wanted to play baseball. I was the guy that was dragging my banging on the neighbor's doors and going around the neighborhood, getting rounding people up to play. I was always that way. That's pretty much what I wanted to do all the time. Even though I played other sports, my head was always on the game. When I went to high school, I was hyper-focused on being good. I wanted to be good. And my parents and my dad never really pushed me. He just was positive and encouraging, but I wanted to be good. I was very self-motivated. My sophomore year, I had a really good year. I played on the varsity team and I was a pitcher and I had a great year. And I had a really good high school coach who was a intense competitive guy that pushed us and our team won a district championship and on that team I was a sophomore so I DH'd and I pitched and at that time it felt like maybe that's what I was going to do I think at that point I thought I want to keep playing baseball as long as I could and the thing about it was my brother was a good player so my brother was a year older so he got engaged with college recruiting in the process and ended up having an opportunity to play at St. Joe's and he had a great freshman year there so I think that made it maybe a little easier for me. And I was recruited and looked at some other places too, but St. Joe's made a whole lot of sense for me. I went to Scranton Prep High School, which is a great high school. And I had a terrific high school coach and a great American Legion coach. Joe Lally was my high school coach. And a guy named Jack Lance coached me in the summer. That's when Pennsylvania American Legion baseball was really big. And we had terrific teams and I had some great teammates. And I think that just prepared me to play college baseball. And those guys definitely inspired me and made the game fun and made me, me want to continue to play and develop my my skills. Of all the places you could have went, what made you decide to go to Hawk Hill and land at St. Joe's? My brother and I were always like Philadelphia sports fans. We liked Philly. I went to St. Joe's as did my brother. So we were a part of the Jesuit educational uh, system. St. Joe's a Jesuit school. College recruiting was not nearly as intense or as involved as it is today. So back then I was pumped that they called me and they were interested. My brother was there and he was having a great experience and he enjoyed it. So it was it was uh, a natural fit for me. At St. Joe's, highlight of your St. Joe's career. Highlighted some of my St. Joe's, man. My, I, I, I had to, to work to get in the lineup. It was division one school my freshman year. I did play a lot. I was a catcher, I was a third baseman. I, I had a hard time finding a position and then my sophomore year, I had a couple little nagging injuries. And then my junior year, I started as a catcher. And I think that would probably be the highlight. I felt like I got better as, as that year went on. I had some good days at the plate. But I was a guy I had to work every day. I had to hit batting practice every single day. I had to develop myself as a defender. I didn't catch a lot in high school. I was more of a pitcher. So that was a new position to me when I got to college. So I had to really work at it in order to be a good catcher. But I would just say, just generally speaking, my junior year was my highlight. But in terms of the impact that had on me professionally, it was just having to work to battle my way into the lineup and develop myself as a player. That was important to me. And the fact that I had to really focus on what I needed to do every day to make myself a better player it wasn't really handed to me. I had to really get after it and fight my way into the lineup. And I think that was of greatest value to me. 
the position of catcher. There's so many great managers that come from that position. What, why do you think that is? Well, it's, a, it's an important defensive position in that you've got your hands on the pitching staff and you're constantly communicating with your coaches in terms of strategy and the opposing team. And But you're also having to communicate with your pitcher and work with him just psychologically and emotionally to get him to a good place where he can compete. And I think with me, I want my starting catcher to be the guy that the pitcher wants behind there. And I'll tell the catchers that I'm like, if you want to be the starting catcher, I want the pitching staff advocating for you. So I think if you're a good catcher, you're a selfless teammate and you're there to make everybody else better. And, and you have a greater understanding of how an at-bat works, how to work with an umpire. You have a great understanding of how to utilize the pitching staff. Obviously, team defense is really important and, and you're a part of controlling the running game and dealing with bunt situations and anticipating what the offense might do. Yeah, there's a lot to go into that goes into being a catcher. And I think it does prepare guys for, for coaching. You mentioned that you had to grind and struggle. You had to work to get on the field. You weren't the superstar once you got to college. You noticed almost all the greatest coaches that played the game, be basketball like Coach K, they're the ones that really had to work to get on the field. Superstars rarely make great coaches. There's so many more examples of the athlete that had to struggle to play at a certain level that they make the better coach. Like uh, Coach K, I think, played for Bobby Knight. And Bobby Knight describes him as a guard who couldn't shoot. Can you speak to the value of grinding and struggling each day to stay on the team, how that makes you maybe a better coach, seeing things through your players' eyes, or you have just a different perspective of the game? Can you speak to that? I think you can identify with your players a lot more, particularly the guys that you want to see get better. And you're always going to, if you recruit, well, you're going to have some guys that can walk on the field and are super talented. But more often than not, you're going to have guys that need to get better, that need to develop on a daily basis, weekly basis. So you have to be able to get inside their head and, and, and encourage them and help them develop that growth mindset of getting 1% better every day and keeping their eyes on the windshield and off the rearview mirror and all those types of things that I went through as a player myself. So it's easier for me to talk to them about those things. The other thing, to have a successful team, it's not always about the strongest link in the chain. It's sometimes about maybe the weaker links in the chain. In, in a sport like basketball, you need a superstar to win. Like Your ability to win is based on your ability to have a superstar in your lineup. But in a sport like baseball, it's about, I look at my seven, eight, nine hitters. Like I'm proud of, we, we score runs. Our offense is great because our seven, eight, nine are really good. They get on base. They're high on base percentage guys. They grind out ABs. They get bunts down. They run the base as well. Those are generally not your superstar guys in the lineup. I got a nine hitter that hit 230 this year, but I told him, I don't care what your batting average is. I don't care. I just want you to be on base over 400. I want a 400 on base. Mm -hmm. You can do that. You can't hit home runs. You can't be frustrated because you're hitting 220. You can feel good about the fact that you're on base three times today. So it, it, it puts me in that mindset of, what can this kid do to make our team better? Because I understand that this isn't basketball. And my seven, eight, nine hitters, they're going to be as important as my, my one through four. And they're going to help us generate runs. When I think about my experience and what I went through and how it impacts my coaching, I guess that's where I go. You see the game through your players' eyes, through empathy. You have a deeper perspective knowing what playing the game and then playing with it, knowing that you, how you have to grind, that gives you that perspective to connect with those players, especially the seven, eight, nine hitters. How many times are you down one run with two outs, a guy on third and your number eight hitter comes up late in the game? You, know, you got to win the one run game. How many times does that happen? And if that yeah. person can draw a walk, like you said, get on base and, and turn the lineup over, that's just huge. Sure. Fast forward a little bit here. So how did you know you wanted to go into coaching? My senior year, the first game of my senior year, I was really excited for my senior year because I, had, I felt like I had a, a pretty good junior year and I was developing and I was learning and I was getting to a point where I thought I was going to be a, a really good player. I had worked really hard. I, like I mentioned to you, I was the guy that was in the batting cage every day to kick me out of the weight room. I lived in the gym. I was obsessed, right? So then, and I was getting better and I was figuring things out. I played a ton of baseball in the summer. I was really into it. So then my senior year, I was pretty pumped to go out and just kill it my senior year. First game of my senior year, I was catching. We were at Old Dominion, uh, third weekend of February, and there's a collision at home plate. I was blocking the plate. I wasn't going to let the guy score. And he went through my left knee and I had a pretty bad knee injury. I was in denial and I thought it was just a sprain. And I think the trainers were being somewhat positive with me. 
So I go to the doctor and I, I remember I went to the doctor by myself. Maybe people didn't think it was going to be a big deal. So I remember taking a city bus to a Lankanau hospital and I thought they would just give me the old, hey, it's a sprain, you'll be fine, Advil and rest and ice or what have you. And I was excited, still excited about my senior year. I'm thinking, well, maybe I'll miss a weekend, maybe I'll DH next weekend. And the doctor comes in, examines me, and he's like, oh, you're done, you're done for the year, That's it's over. And I was like the most mild-mannered guy, like I was really the most respectful kid, and I think I was ready to jump off the table and strangle the guy. I was so upset. That, that had a huge impact on me because I thought I'd worked so hard for my senior year. And this guy comes in, he's like, yeah, that's it. I think you can't play anymore. You know, what were you diagnosed with? I tore my ACL and my MC and the meniscus was okay. But at at that time that was, you know, they had surgery, but I was going to miss my senior year Okay, and they were going to do surgery and maybe I could play a fifth year. So that was a shocker to me. And so then my senior year, I rehab my brains out and, but I I was in the dugout just watching baseball and just from watching it and spending time observing the game as an older guy in that dugout, I started thinking maybe I could coach. I wonder what these guys did to get into coaching. I was friends and pretty tight with some of my collegiate summer coaches. One of them was a junior college coach. And I talked a lot to him about how do I get into this business? What do I have to do? So that's when the gears in my head started turning. And then I was home in the summer hanging out with one of my buddies. And I was talking to his dad and this was our senior year. So the dad's like, Hey, what are you thinking you're going to do for a career? And I said, I really am thinking about staying in baseball and try to coach and see if I can get a job doing that at some point. And he looked at me, he goes, you are being foolish. He's that's not, you don't go to college to be a baseball coach. He's like, you, you got to find something else. Like you're wasting your time talking about that. And I remember walking out of his car thinking, I'm going to show that guy like, man, who does he think he is telling me I can't do this? This is what I want to do. So that put just this massive chip on my shoulder. And I'll never forget that conversation. That definitely had an impact. So when I got out, I immediately made, started making calls to, after my fifth year, I immediately started making phone calls to areas schools, just asking the volunteer. And I'm up in Scranton and one of the schools was Keystone Junior College. And I had a connection with their, I bumped into their athletic director somewhere at a party and we talked all night and she called me up and she offered me like a part-time assistant coaching job. And it's, this is a small private junior college. So it's a very, at that point, it was a pretty low start, but it was a start and it was college baseball. And I was excited to do it. Do you remember what it felt like walking off the field the last time as a player? Oh yeah. Yeah. I was definitely, it was difficult. It was definitely difficult. I think the biggest low point of the scariest part was when I was injured because I thought that was definitely it. And that's not how I wanted it to end. But I think that was the end of my collegiate career was difficult. But I think that all of the uh, energy and enthusiasm that I put into being a player, I just converted that over into coaching. So I think it was a lot easier for me because I had this coaching thing in my head and, and in my mind, I was not done wearing a uniform and I was really motivated, especially at that age and ambitious to stay in it and to prove that I could do it because there was definitely people that were like, like my buddy's dad that thought I was being stupid, that I should go to law school or I should go to graduate school or I should do this or I should do that. Like I said, I, I just had this chip, like I was going to prove people wrong. That took the sting out of walking away as a player, I think. Sure. Can you remember the first time you stepped on the field as a coach? Absolutely remember that. I remember stepping on the field as a head coach. I was an assistant at Keystone for one spring. The head coach had left. And at that point, I had was given the opportunity to be the head coach. And I, I remember coaching at Delaware County Community College down in near Philly. And, and my brother came out to see me. And I was pretty excited about that. And I was a nervous wreck. And Honestly, I look back on it. I probably didn't know what I was doing. You know what I mean? <laughs> because I was this young guy coaching college baseball. I was pretty excited to be doing it. But yeah, it was really exciting to, to have an opportunity to wear a uniform and coach third base. The Keystone was important. I started out there, and this is an important part, I think, of my experience. It was a private junior college that had a really good baseball tradition. Christy Mathewson actually went there and played there. Uh, it's sort of really old school. And now they're a private four-year school and having terrific success. 
But when I started, they were struggling a little bit. Enrollment-wise, they were struggling as an institution. They were struggling athletically. So I wanted a job on campus, but the baseball job was obviously like very part-time. So I needed a job. I was a fitness center instructor. I worked um, as a bartender, as a waiter. I had all these crazy jobs. I did like manual labor. So I'm doing all these jobs. I was substitute teacher. And then I'm trying to coach baseball up there. And I'm turning down full-time jobs to, to be a part-time baseball coach. So I said to the athletic director, you got to find me a job on this campus. I got to work somewhere on campus doing something. They got me an interview in the admissions office as an admissions counselor. I did the interview and I thought I did pretty well. And at the conclusion, I learned I didn't get the job. So I was bummed out about it. I went back to the athletic director. I'm like, please ask them to give me another chance. So they actually gave me another shot. I interviewed a second time. And the second interview was basically explaining to them that I would hold up my end of the bargain as far as admissions work, that I wasn't going to be running out of the office to coach baseball, that I was going to do it, do the admissions part, and I wasn't going to leave anybody hanging in the office. I ended up getting the position as an admissions person. So I would come in the morning at 6 a.m., work the team out, strength and conditioning, go to admissions, put on a suit and tie, work in admissions all day, then go to practice. Then I'd be on the phone at night making recruiting calls. So that, that was like my training ground where I really learned how to work and how to develop players, but do work in the office and also recruit. And being in admissions taught me a lot about how colleges work, how universities work, how to sell a school, how to talk about academic programs and residence hall, student life, and how to sit down with a family and talk about financial aid and all of those important things, all of those important facets. I, I learned that through my admissions experience at Keystone, a lot of the people that were there, the enrollment management people, they taught me a lot just about higher education. And that influences me. That was an important thing. And after uh, a few years there, my team got much better. And as a junior college, our players were being recruited to Division One schools, to Division Two schools, and so on and so forth. So I started making friends and relationships with a lot of four-year coaches. One of them was Tim Sinicki, who's the head baseball coach at Binghamton University. Tim's had great success at Binghamton, really built their program, won several America East Conference Championships, Coach of the Years, putting a lot of guys in professional baseball. But at that point, they were moving from Division Three to Division One athletics, and they really needed help. Like, they needed players. They needed to get better. That's a big jump for them. So he got a full-time assistant position that was going to coach hitters and recruit, and he asked me to take that. So that's when I left Keystone. I, I went up to Binghamton. When you're at Binghamton, you were in charge of recruiting there. Tim participated. He was on the road. He was engaged, but I was recruiting. I was on the road a lot. I was everywhere. I was traveling to the Midwest, recruiting junior college players, California. I was all over New York State, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Maryland. I went everywhere and everywhere. I lived out of my car. That's hard. How long did you do that for? I was the Tim's assistant for four years. Okay. So you're basically yeah. on recruit mode for four years. I was recruiting and I coached the hitters and the infielders. So we'd play a conference series somewhere and then I'd immediately get on the road and start recruiting. You're on the field, but then when the game's not going on, you're on the road out. I'm at practice here and there, but in the summers I was constantly gone. That's such an art recruiting. When you were looking at a player, what are the intangibles you look for? I haven't done this for a long time. I definitely learned a lot about what to do and what not to do. And I think recruiting, evaluating baseball players is extremely difficult because Five guys can see the same player on a different day and come away with a different idea. I think you got to fall back on trying to recruit really dynamic athletes because those are the guys that are fun to coach. When we're younger, we get a little frustrated when you go to tryout and you got to run that 60 and hit BP and this and that. And they're really looking at tools and athleticism. But when you have hard decisions to make as far as who to go after, those measurables are important. So I, I do tend to look for physical guys that are dynamic athletes, the kind of guy that if he played football, he'd be returning punts or he'd be the middle linebacker or the tailback. Guys that are strong and physical and explosive in their movements. Obviously, want outfielders that can run and pitchers have to be able to throw strikes and they got to be able to compete and play the game too. You're trying to be right most of the time and you're trying to work hard to make the best decisions, not just for you and the other coaches on the staff and the team, but for the student athlete, because you don't want to put a kid in a bad spot. You make a mistake and you recruit him and he's not the right fit. And now he's not having a good experience. How much does personality fall into it? You can't have a team with all introverted kids. It's a whole yeah. different coaching job you need. Then you have a whole bunch of gregarious kids that are jumping on each other every time someone gets a hit. How much does personality come into play? Absolutely. We're going to spend a lot of time together and time in the weight room, time in the locker room, time on the bus, obviously practice, 
doubleheaders, their personality plays a huge role in it. And their mindset as far as getting better and their work ethic and their vision for themselves. And this is the kind of kid that's going to do the work to get better and and sees themselves as an unfinished product and has that idea of, I'm going to come in and listen to my coaches and do what it takes to, to make myself a better baseball player. How do you get to Bloomsburg University? I'm a Pennsylvania guy. So I, I always had it in my mind that, and even when I was at Binghamton, I recruited Pennsylvania pretty hard. I was always coming down to Pennsylvania and I had a lot of contacts in the state from my Keystone I'm at Keystone. I'm hitting Eastern PA really hard in recruiting. So I I know a lot of high school coaches and a lot of the summer coaches and so on. So I always felt like Pennsylvania would be a good fit for me. And I also had a a great degree of respect for the Pennsylvania State Athletic Conference. It's a really good athletic conference in Division II. Mm -hmm. And it's a great baseball league. And I felt like from Binghamton, if a PSAC job opened, it was definitely something I had to check out and I would be a good fit for that. And Bloomsburg opened and I had coached some Bloomsburg kids in collegiate summer baseball years prior. And those guys always spoke like glowingly about the institution, how much they enjoyed the school. And that was my impression of it. So I jumped on it and I interviewed and I felt immediately comfortable on the campus and I saw the potential for the place and I was fortunate to, to get it. So you're at Bloomsburg. Yeah. What was the program like when you took it over? When I had took it over, we weren't in very good shape, to be honest with you. It was not a, a good situation. Coach Haney had terrific success in the 90s. I actually took him to the World Series in, in late 90s, early 2000s. At some point, things were a bit of a struggle. And at that point, they had made a decision they were going to move on from coach. And he was a lame duck coach for two years and that his contract was not going to be renewed. And word I got out about that. So the recruiting in the two years prior to me there just wasn't, I walked in, I had a group of walk-ons. I had only one or two recruited kids. It was a struggle. And despite that, I tried to stay positive and I learned a lot in their first five years. I, I probably learned more in my first five years than I have, I have in the last five years trying to turn that thing around. There's some quote I'm going to um, butcher it, but you learn nothing in success. Failure is when you learn your lessons. I'm going to highlight a couple things and we can go deeper. You just finished your 16th season, correct? Yes. Yeah. And then you got back-to-back PSAC championships. Unbelievable. Three straight appearances in the NCAA Atlantic Regional Tournament. You had two players over the last maybe three years selected in the Major League Baseball draft. As of today, I think three-time PSAC Coach of the Year. And most victories in program history, is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. Phenomenal. First off, congratulations. So let's fast forward to the present day. What a crazy spring Bloomsburg won the PSAC championship. And for for those listening at home, there's roughly 22 state schools in the Peace Access. 14 state schools, but then we have uh, some private. We have three privates on the West. So in the league, there's 17 schools right now. 17. Bloomsburg hasn't won the championship probably since the 60s or 50s. 50s. So it was, well, 60s. Yeah, it was a 54-year drought before we won it in 2019. 2020, we had the COVID year. We were 10 and 2 and got shut down the whole spring season and you came out you won it then you come out during the covid year before you got shut down you were on fire you're 10 yeah we were doing really well yeah Yeah. so what's that like you win the first championship you come back you're trying to run it back you're on fire you're 10 and 2 and then you get shut down what's a coach do there how do you talk to the players with that one it was rough there was a lot of tears everybody in college baseball was going through it we had a great group of seniors and they were Obviously, we were feeling great going into the conference season, and then the rug gets pulled out from under us, and it happened pretty quickly. The thing about it was there was a lot of tears and a lot of, I can't believe this is happening because we had such great momentum. We returned so many good players off the 2019 team and felt like 2020 was going to be historical in nature. With that being said, though, the NCAA gave everybody their year back. Now these guys who are seniors had to make a decision. The bulk of them, five of them said, hey, we're going to come back for a fifth year and get our master's degree. And I, that made me feel good. It told me that they really enjoyed their experience, but also I think it was great for them to get the graduate degree. So they came back in 2021 and now I'm feeling the pressure in 2021, mm-hmm. uh, not to win, but just to win for them because they're making the effort to come back for the fifth year. Mm-hmm. I wanted that fifth year to be really special for those sure, guys sure. because they had jobs, they had other things. They had, some of them had fiancés or girlfriends, I'm sure. And they had to put everything aside for that extra year. And, and here we do, we come back in, in 2021 and we win it again. And I think 
well worth her. You didn't have that hellacious start like you did that 10 and two year, the COVID year. You yeah. had a bunch of injuries, correct? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Ton- yeah. and then not really on fire out of the gates, correct? No, we had to figure it out as the year went on. And, and now in 21, COVID was still an issue in the fall. So in the fall, we were still trying to figure out what we could do. We didn't know if we'd have a spring season. We were really limited in our fall baseball. And the fall for me is an important time. We do a lot in the fall. And I had some freshmen that I really liked, and we couldn't do anything with them in the fall. A lot of them had to go home. So we basically started up in February, and the freshmen were really like freshmen because they didn't have any fall activity. And then I think from the long shutdown, and this was a concern I had throughout, we had this long shutdown with limited training, like how is this going to impact us injury-wise? And it ended up hurting us. We ended up having some injury with our pitchers and with some position players. And I think that led to us not getting out to the best start. And then we had to to fight through that. I was proud of the guys because I had that mindset, we're going to get better every week. We're going to compete our brains out. We're going to be a, a different team at the end of the year. Fortunately, thanks to the guys and some really hardworking assistant coaches, we did. We played our best baseball at the end. And we were a little shorthanded on the pitching staff, but the lineup was fantastic. And the top of our rotation was really good and they carried us. We get in there as a, a three seed. Okay. And the three seed on the East. So there's four in the East, four in the West. We're a three seed on the East. In the first round, we have to play a one game elimination game at Westchester. So we have to go to Westchester and we play a one game elimination game and we win that. We throw a sophomore who had a fantastic outing. So we go in there and actually we're a four seed. So they were a three because they hosted. So we go down there and he pitches a complete game, Jared Marshman, and against probably the statistically the top offensive team on our side. So we win that one. Now we got to come back four days later and play a three-game series at Millersville, who's the number one seed. And we ended up winning two out of three there. We win the game one and a dramatic extra inning, 10-inning game. And I think we lose game two. And then we win game three with a freshman on the mound who had a fantastic run of the postseason, uh, Michael Standen. Yep. Uh, we swung the bats really well and uh, taken two or three from the top team on the Eastern Division. And after winning that one, four days later, we have to go to Seton Hill, who is the number one team uh, in the West. Number six in the country, right? At the the time, six undefeated at home, correct? Undefeated at home. Yeah. So we lose game one. We out hit them in the game, though. And I think the guys felt, wow, we really could have won that game. Like, we felt like we played really well. And we swung the bats. We, We played terrific defense. So I just had this sense from them that they were feeling good. We go out game two, the freshman throws again, Mike Standen completely shuts them down. I think he had 11 strikeouts, complete game, just dominant, zero walks. As a freshman, it was amazing. We swing the bats, we put up a bunch of runs, we win that one, and now we're feeling really good coming to you know the second day. And then Marshman again pitches a gem, uh, complete game, and we end up winning that one rather handily. We had five home runs in the game. Swung the bats extremely well, we five homers, and, and uh, we really took care of that. And we, we ended up dogpiling on their field and taking two or three in the number one seat. So it was a special moment, you know. So getting back to you're at Seton Hill. They're the number six team in the country, number yeah. one in the Pennsylvania State Athletic Conference. Yeah. You're playing them at home. They're 22-0. and 0. Yeah. You said you hit well, you played well, but they still won. It's only a best of three series, so it's only two yeah. games you got to win. You played well. You couldn't believe how well you hit, and yeah. you still lost. Yeah. So as a coach, what do you say to the team after you played a great game and it still didn't go your way and you're one game from elimination? In that moment, I went to our pitching staff because we we had pitched so well the previous weekend, both Marshman and Standen. I go, guys, look at look who we got on the mound there. We just saw their number one. We're going to throw Standen and Marsh these next two games and we have our bullpen rested. We're going to be in great shape. And, I, and they knew that. The other thing is I have a senior group that had been on the team in 2018. We went to the regional and won in 2019. So they're a very tough and confident group. So I could look at their eyes. I could see where they were at mentally just by looking at their eyes. And I was seeing, I was just feeling it. They feel really good. There was no panic in those guys right there. They they were seeing it well at the plate. We swung it well against Millersville. We swung it well in game one. And some things just didn't go our way. And we had two really good arms ready to roll for games three and four. So I think our guys felt like, wow, we can do this. So 
I felt like they were bringing a great degree of confidence to the table if, if I said nothing. When you win game two, do you feel the yeah. momentum change? I did. I, I felt great because not only that we were scoring, but the quality of our bats, we we're driving the ball, we we're hitting home runs. We were hitting balls in the gap. We were walking. We were playing really good baseball. Defensively, we were perfect. And now we got to come the next day with Jared Marshman, who are the guys in the upper class would always call him Friday Night Lights because he was quarterback at Berwick. Football is a big deal up here. So he's a quarterback at Berwick High School in height. And, and there's this sense that Marsh is going to bring his best stuff and we need it. And he did. So I think there was a great degree of confidence in Marsh and in the lineup rolling in the game three. Friday Night Lights. It's phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, first off, congratulations. Looking at the program in general right now, what's the most exciting thing you're working on? The winning is big and it's fun and it creates positive memories for the guys. And it's great to talk about the most impactful thing. The thing that gets me most excited and is most important is the thing that we call the 40-year plan. And it's developed over a period of years. And it basically started many years ago with us trying to do things on their off day. Activities on their off day that I thought would be impactful to them. And one thing that I always say to them when we meet um, as a team and we talk about what we're doing off the field, I would say, this, these four years are great, but this is really about the next 40 years. What are we doing as a program, as student athletes, as coaches to help you guys in the next 40 years, prepare for the next 40 years? Because if we win championships and and, and we win a lot of games and you have great success on the field. But if in five, six years, you're not doing what you should be doing professionally or personally, then, then I don't know if we really, did we really meet our goal as a program? That's what I would say to them often and get them to really think a bigger picture about their experience. And then my assistants, like, you got to just start calling this stuff 40 year plan stuff, because I would just say, we're going to do other stuff that's good for you. We took that idea and married it with that name. And that's where it came up with a 40-year plan. And also it captures it. So when we are doing something off the field, they understand what it's about. This is about the 40-year plan. So what it does is anything for their enrichment that furthers them is falls under the umbrella. So we're going to do community engagement, community service type stuff. I bring in a lot of speakers and, and folks that can bring value to their lives. We have somebody from the Women's Center come up and do a, a presentation on sexual assault and bystander awareness. People come in and, and do uh, workshops on diversity, equity, and inclusion. We'll have discussions about individuals and kids, children with disabilities. We will have somebody come up and talk about nutrition. We'll do personal finance workshops. We actually did a whole thing on children in foster care in Pennsylvania. We have them participate in mental health trainings. Anything that I can find that I think or a group that I can partner with or we can collaborate with that would benefit our team, I'm, I'm going to do it. But also, I want to collaborate with groups where our team can bring value to what they are doing. So if the Women's Center is doing a Take Back the Night March or something, then we want to participate in that. If the Center for Multicultural Affairs is doing some type of program, we want to see if we can be there to support that. We want our program to be a resource for the campus. I want our guys to think in terms of not us always looking for resources, but how can we be a resource for others? And everything that we do on the 40-year plan side, it happens basically on an off day. In the fall, they have two off days a week, and those are the days we're going to do these 40-year plan activities. The two things that I really love, and these are the things that get me most excited about, and every Tuesday, we give out a faculty staff member of the week award that our team, our, our student athletes pick the person. So all week, it forces them outside of their little baseball bubble, and they have to pay attention to the custodians, the, the people that work at the paint shop, the people who work in the dining hall, the secretaries, their faculty. They have to find somebody that jumps out at them, has a good attitude, just working hard or doing a little extra. They'll give me that person's name on a Monday night. The team meets. I put some players in charge of it, and they'll give me a name Monday night. And then on Tuesday, we'll surprise that person at work. And the players will show up and the captains will present them an award. And we get a terrific reaction. People love it. And I think the fact that it's an award that an employee gets and it's coming from the students and they present the award and then we'll take pictures and we put it on Facebook, we put it on social media so that the recipient's family can see it and they can share in that success and celebrate it and their coworkers and so on. So it, it spreads so much goodwill across the campus. We get out of it is our players 
start to notice people. They start to to engage the campus. It's not about just me and, and my schoolwork and the strength and conditioning coach and my teammates. It's about the lady, the, the guy who makes the omelets on the weekends at the Scranton Commons. It's the custodian on the second floor of the library. It's the guy that comes and fixes our pitching machine when it's not throwing a, a fastball straight. They start to notice other people and the people around them that are making their experience great. I enjoy that. And the other element of the 40-year plan that I think is incredibly impactful and might be the best thing we do is our professional engagement stuff, which you had an opportunity to get involved with. During the fall, we, we get together with our alumni professional engagement staff, and they do trainings with our players on how to present yourself professionally, how to do an interview, how to do an elevator pitch, how to ask questions, how to answer questions, all those important things that I didn't learn until after I got rejected by three or four job interviews. They're learning that right now as freshmen, sophomores, juniors, dress for success, how to clean up their social media, all that kind of stuff. So we do those trainings in the fall. And then during the fall, then I recruit some brilliant alums like yourself that want to help us. And we'll put together a giant professional engagement week of activities. This year, it was a week in the, in the past, maybe it'd be one big event. And we will invite people to this event. We've had it in Jamison, Bucks County, and it lasts about four hours. So our players will come, suits and ties. We'll have uh, 30 to 35 alums uh, representing a variety of career fields. And they're there to mentor our players. And we will set up uh, a speed networking thing, go for an hour and a half where every guy has to talk about themselves. Then we do panel discussions with our young alums and our younger players, older alums, older players, one-on-one resume reviews. We do breakout sessions based on career field. We'll eat with our alumni and so on and so forth. So out of that comes some brilliant conversations and great relationships and experiences, but also references, maybe some job opportunities and plenty of internship opportunities. But I think the biggest part of it is just the experience the guys have going through it. By the time they're seniors, they're so much more comfortable in those professional situations. So when they get into a job interview or a networking event, they're so much more comfortable in those environments, having been through it with our program. And we have this wonderful resource in our alumni base. So we're tapping into that. And those guys have so much fun doing it. And I'm I'm grateful for them, for their generosity and their willingness to mentor our our players. Both the 40-year plan and the alumni engagement, two amazing programs you set up there that have so much value. Getting involved with the alumni program this year, one of the things that just really blew me away is the level of maturity and just how impressive the players were that I interacted with. I was 30 years old before I had my head where they are right now. It's amazing how well-adjusted on the ball they are and the awareness and perspective they have and the things they, the questions they ask. I'm like, I was nowhere near there at that age. You you hear alumni networks of like really big schools like a Penn State or University of Texas. It is amazing. The alumni that come out of Bloomsburg, there are some really successful people throughout the country that graduated there and have a real connection with that special little town there. And they had a great four years there and they can provide a lot of value to the people coming out now, which is a great, great resource you set up. So kudos to that. Thank you. A few more questions. What is your personal definition of success? I, I don't really focus on success as a destination, as more of a journey and, and coming to work every day with the goal of getting better and learning from your experiences and from your shortcomings and focusing on the journey and how you're getting there. And and I think if that's what you're doing, you're going to continue to grow and learn and you could be proud of wherever it is you end up. For me too, it's also about how you impact people around you. And I think that if we're serving others and we're making the people around us better, then that impacts our happiness the most. And I go back to giving out that award. That's it's the most fun we have all week. And all we're doing is giving an award to somebody. So I think for me, success would be about impacting the people around you and making other people better and impacting their experiences and, and having that uh, constant striving for personal growth. What's the biggest challenge you ever faced? I think the biggest challenge I ever faced was in my first year, a couple of years at Bloom and trying to figure out how to, how to get things going in a positive direction because I struggled with it. It was the recruiting part of it and fundraising. And I just had to struggle. I had to go through that process to figure out what we needed to do to be successful on and off the field. 
And it wasn't one thing. It was how we were going to coach and develop the players on the field about who we were going to try and recruit, how we were going to recruit them. It was a million little things and it took time. But I think that was probably the biggest struggle I've had. When you need to get away, you need to clear your head, recharge your mind, your body. What do you do? What do I do? I don't golf. I don't hunt. I don't fish. I tinker around my yard. I have two koi ponds in the back of the yard. One of them I dug and I dug it twice. So I kind of mess around back there. That's about all I do, I would say, for my mental health. Do you have a book that influenced or changed your mind? I'm a big fan of John Gordon. I feel like my coaching, and there's a lot of coaches that have been impacted by John Gordon, and like the energy bus and the no complaining role. And, and he's had several others. And, and I've heard him speak at the American Baseball Coaches Association convention. For me, it's all about positivity. I'm coaching a sport where you're going to fail a lot. You're going to make mistakes, especially when you're looking at college kids who John Gordon talks about feeding the positive dog. And you've probably heard that one. And that's something we talk about with our players all the time, because it's so easy to doubt yourself in baseball. And a few years ago, one of my former assistants called me. He goes, how do you make your players tough? We need our guys to be tougher. I feel like your players are really tough. Like your guys are so tough. How do you make them tough? And I said, if you want to make your players tough is you have to love them and you have to be really positive with them. And I think that's to some people in coaching, that doesn't make sense. They think you make them tough by being tough on them, by barking at them a lot, throwing a bunch of rules at them and and for me, that doesn't work. It doesn't make sense to me. I make them tough by b- making them believe they're better than they are, by pumping them up and celebrating every little success. You strike out, but you have a 10-pitch at bat, I'm going to compliment you for that. You struck out, and maybe you chase the pitch out of the zone, and maybe you're beating yourself up over it, but I'm going to pull you down the line and say, man, that was a pretty good at bat. You fouled off five pitches. You didn't get one good pitch to hit, but you hung in there. Next time you do that again, he's going to make a mistake in the middle plate. You're going to hit out of the park. You know what I mean? So I'm going to turn that around, make it a positive to put him in a positive frame of mind. So when he does get a mistake pitch, he's going to be able to execute that pitch. If I could be positive with a pitcher, incredibly positive with a pitcher, maybe his strike percentage goes from 56% to 62, just by him believing he's a little bit better than he is by pushing him over his skis a little bit better. And as a result, when he is in that tough situation with a man on third, nobody out, he might wiggle his way out of that situation. He could make his best pitches in that tight spot. Mm-hmm. And that positivity, that's the thing that makes the big difference. And I get a lot of that from John Gordon and his writings. And his- Jim Rohn, who was Tony Robbins' mentor, he had give people uh, a great reputation to live up to. So you tell them how great they are. You tell them, yeah. show them the best version of them and keep holding them to that. And uh, they'll find it there themselves because... Leadership isn't dragging people forward. It's people following you voluntarily. And I think you're right on the spot there. How about when you are at your best, what are you doing? When I'm at my best, I think I'm coaching baseball. I'm in the dugout on game day. That's what I enjoy doing, I think. Sometimes I don't love it when it's 30 degrees out, windy and freezing in the Northeast. But or, or we have to take a tarp off the field and it's cold and wet. But that's the nature of the beast if you're coaching baseball in Pennsylvania. But just being positive with them and pushing them. And the best part of it is to see them overachieve in a difficult spot and do something that they maybe didn't think they could do. Get a two-strike hit with two outs or something like that. And that is born out of them believing in themselves in a difficult position. You posted a picture online. It was like 25 days to opening day and Littweiler feels just covered a foot in snow. Yeah. April, (laughs) March in Bloomsburg, not too far. Somehow we got that snow off and we played. Yeah. Somehow. Uh, What values do you try to pass on to your players? To be a good community leader and to be a contributor to your community. We all wear the the same gear. Like we'll have a maroon t-shirt or sweatshirt with a Husky head, baseball under it. And I'll say, when you walk on this campus and when you walk through town, that logo means something. And it doesn't mean something because we were winning games. It means something because of all the little things that we do in those other 22 hours a day when we're not playing baseball. The way we engage in our campus, the way we talk to people, the way we behave in the dining hall or in the residence hall, the, the way we we speak to the staff and, and to our, our faculty members and teachers and, and mentors and so on and so forth. So that 
you guys should take pride in being a baseball player, not just because we win or because we have good players, or you should take pride in playing baseball because we're good people and, and we represent our team and our families and our program. That's the, the speech I give them. And that's why I'm proud to coach these guys, not because they hit home runs or they, they rack up the strikeouts because they're great human beings and they're going to have great success in life. Two more questions. You mentioned that you grew up in Scranton with your parents and your brother. If you could go back to that dinner table when you're 10 years old and speak to your mom, your dad, your brother at the, what would you want to think? I just want to thank them for providing me a beautiful foundation for the life that I have, because I wouldn't be coaching college baseball. I wouldn't have the family that I have and the, the opportunities that I've had and the experiences that I've had if it wasn't for what I was given when I, I was a child. And, and I wish everybody could have that. And I wish we lived in a country where everybody could have those opportunities. I was born on third base and I thought I hit a triple and not everybody gets that. And that's part of the lesson. That's part of the 40-year plan when I, I have to explain that to the guys. Because when you grow up in a, in a place like Greenridge, in, in a town like Scranton, when you're a kid, you think everybody has it that way. But and, and then when you grow up, you travel this country and you get to see that it's not like that for everybody. And not every kid has those opportunities and has that environment. And there's unfortunately a lot of a lot of people that grow up in in places where they're handicapped in their lives. So I'm I was really lucky and fortunate. And I love my parents for giving me those opportunities. If you had to get a quote or a saying tattooed on your body. What would that quote or motto say? Oh, man, that's a good one. That's a good one. You know, keep your eyes on the windshield and off the rearview mirror and stay positive. That's pretty much what I say to the guys almost every day about believing our, our best days are ahead of us and, and being focused on winning the next pitch, not worrying about the last pitch. And that's not easy to do, but that's really the key to success. Keep your eyes on the windshield. Keep them off the rearview mirror. Stay positive. That's about as good a spot to end as any. Coach Mike Collins, thank you for joining us. I wish you continued success. Amazing things you're doing up there in Bloomsburg. It's a special place and you got a special team. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. If people were looking for you or the program online, where can they find you? If you go to buhuskies.com, that'll be the athletic department website. You just click on baseball and find our baseball page. My Twitter is BU at BU Coach Collins. So I'm pretty active on social media. You can locate me there as well. Thank you for joining us. Wish you nothing but success. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me.